Welcome to the Gautrain Talks podcast station, the place to be for all matters related to the Gautrain and how it came to be South Africa's first ever rapid rail link. It's safe to say that 2020 has been a year to forget, but also a year that has offered much in the way of introspection and learning. To this end, the Gautrain Management Agency, in partnership with the Gauteng City Region Observatory, was not going to pass up the opportunities offered by the third annual public transport seminar a virtual webinar series with the theme of the recovery of the public transport sector post the COVID-19 pandemic. The first webinar looked at public transport governance, both pre and post the pandemic, and was hosted by Jesse Harbour, senior researcher at the Gauteng City Region Observatory. With him, panellists in the form of Jack van der Marwe, former Gauteng Management Agency Chief Executive and currently head of the Gauteng Transport Authority, Umdudusi Mbada, head of policy in the Gauteng Office of the Premier, Vuyasile Majola, the Chief Executive of the Ubunya Group, and Tsepa Khobe, Chief Operating Officer of the GMA. Here, Harbour sets the scene for a general discussion on public transport governance by delving into the most recent history of the sector in South Africa. My inclination is always to do it in the form of a history. I'm going to restrain myself and I'm really only going to start uh, what for me is very recently around the year 2000. The situation in which was really the, the not the end, but uh, some way into a process of mass urbanization into South Africa's cities, largely into underserviced urban and peri-urban areas. And that's that level of service. The, by underserviced, we really mean including transport. And seemingly paradoxically, but not really, that involved a lot of people still stuck in peripheral and rural areas with a few economic prospects. This is in the context of about 15 years at that point or more, of cities deconcentrating and dispersing economically and sprawl and suburbanization really intensifying, both of which created a, a challenging situation for uh, transport and its governance. Uh, and this left people dependent for transport on, first and foremost, minibus taxis, who had grown up enormously as an industry in the context of deteriorating legacy transport services. Minibuses, uh, which served a lot of people efficiently and effectively on their own terms, but with really large uh, social costs, both to the uh, riders and uh, to broader society. Really importantly, they were the only mode at this point that was predominantly demand rather than supply driven, at least of public transport modes. Uh, they reflected where people were coming from and where they were going to more than uh, the kind of intentions of uh, planners gone by. Secondly, uh, people were dependent on these legacy modes, as mentioned, which really by 2000 had undergone years, if not decades, of underinvestment and neglect, and really reflected not just a society, but a kind of spatial context that didn't, for the most part, exist anymore, or existed only, uh, or, or really uh, had changed enormously. Thirdly, people were incredibly dependent on private cars. Uh, and I, I hope I don't have to, I hope this is a choir I don't have to preach to about the enormous social costs involved with private cars and uh, cities and uh, a country that's so dependent on them for transport. And then often neglected is the huge proportion of people who walked and continue to walk as their primary mode of transport. And depending on your data source and how the survey is constructed, I mean, that has been pretty steady at between a quarter and a third of people are primarily reliant on walking. 
Then in the 2000s, there's this process of consolidation of institutions, of transport governments. Um, the provinces had been formed a few years earlier. The metros were formed in the year 2000, at least the first crop of metros. And I'd say the 2000s is really when this new set of institutions started finding uh, their feet and undertaking the kind of object level, the policy work of um, uh, delivering better transport. And at the same time, there's also what I would characterize as an emergent consensus on mega projects as the kind of primary vehicle of transport policy, excuse the pun. So uh, we have a number of uh, these very high profile mega projects undertaken by various parts of the South African state. And they really emerge, I would say, as, a f as the kind of dominant form, maybe not of transport governance, but certainly the, 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 the most energetic and uh, the areas of focus of the South African state when it comes to transport. And of course, the Gau train is a prime example of that. But I would also say the uh, BRTs in many of our metros and secondary cities, as well as uh, things like the Gauteng uh, Freeway Improvement Project. Mega projects, of course, characterized by typically a specific piece of infrastructure built at a large capital cost all at once. They're often added to later on, but there's a a kind of big bang involved in a mega project. And they're often, and this is important for us, associated with a kind of bespoke governance arrangement. Um, there's often a new institution formed and empowered or a new transfer of powers associated with a mega project. Uh, in the Gautrain's example, that would be the Gautrain Management Agency, as well as the way the concession was constructed, I would call a sort of bespoke governance arrangement. And you see versions of this, although not quite to the same degree, across the, the BRTs and other mega projects. And I'd say it's a fairly consistent feature of them. This set the scene for a discussion regarding the current state of transport governance, looking specifically at the pre-COVID-19 period. To listen to this and other interviews about the Gautrain, please tune into our podcasts at Gautrain Talk Station. You can also access further material on our website, www.gautrain.co.za, or follow us on Twitter.